Progressive presents The Sounds of the Old World. The year is 2019, and someone is waiting for a table at a restaurant. Thompson, party of four. Thompson, party of four. Thompson, party... Oh, there you are. This has been The Sounds of the Old World. Brought to you by Progressive, where drivers can still switch and save like it's 2019. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production. Brought to you by HD Smartcast. This is part two of my conversation with Yashaswini Chandra, author of The Tale of the Horse, A History of India on Horseback, a wonderfully erudite book that talks about how central the horse was to life in India right from the Vedic period onwards. And what I found fascinating also was your focus on uh, on women riders, you know. At the end of the day, I'm coming to this book as a horsewoman. Mm. Um, there's no way I'm just going to write about like male horse riders and, <laughs> and you know, how terribly um, valorous and dashing they were. Um, <laughs> but the references were quite thin. There weren't very many references that 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 block that that long uh, reference about these mm. Maratha princesses riding. Yeah. Is from the colonial period. Yes. Right. And from a very well-known um, travelogue by Fanny yeah. Park, based on her yeah. experience of India. Hmm. Which Dalrymple, I think, uh, brought, brought out recently, a couple of years ago or something. Huh? Not couple. Yeah. An abridged version. Yeah. An, an abridged abridged version. Version. Yeah. Highly readable. Yes, yes. It's called In Search of the Picturesque. Yeah. No, the, the edited volume is called something else. But Fanny okay. wrote uh, two volumes. Okay. Uh, of her, um, she, you know, she, of uh, two volumes of her diary were published as In Search of the Picturesque. Okay. Yeah. So, but the references are not very many. But if you look, there are so many paintings of women riding, right? Mm, yes. And, um, once you start uh, looking at them and trying to gauge what they meant, um, why women were depicted mm. riding, hunting on horseback. The, the manner in which the style mm-hmm. in which they were depicted um you uh, you were, i i was able to glean insights into um you know into into the culture by which women rode yes they even played polo there are paintings of women playing polo interestingly all these yes. things, the women are by themselves so obviously hmm. elite women especially were secluded you know they were yes. in so they had to circumvent yeah. that to be able to appear in public um, on horseback. And which is why mm. in all these paintings you find these women amongst themselves. So it's a group of women yes. playing polo or a group of women out mm. riding. Unless yeah. they are in the company of um, their their sort of husband or master, so to speak. I mean, concubines yeah. yeah. didn't necessarily yeah. have husbands. Um, so it was, yeah. So this is a pursuit in which women engaged in the mm. company of um, uh, their their their, their man. Yeah, yeah. So that was quite, yeah. That was really fascinating for me also to look into. Mm. And that little bit where you mentioned, it just came to mind right now. Where I think one of the uh, uh, early Mughal women pointing out uh, that couple. 
uh, I mean, those two women who were um, great horse women. I can't remember where it was. Yeah, so, no, Gulbadan Begum in Gulbadan the Begum. in the Humayun Nama. Yes, at, at a banquet, um, comments on two women who were sort of unconventional, but they were like high status women. They were elite women, mm-hmm. yeah. and they were obviously welcome guests at this um, banquet. So it's not like they were um, ostracized. For being yes. unconventional, but they were unconventional. They dressed in men's clothes. They were archers. They played polo. Um, so there's that reference, and then there's this one painting I point out in which women are depicted riding a Mughal painting, a historical painting. Hmm. Um. So, so yeah, it's not like um. And and what I found really very exciting to discover is in. Hmm. Uh, Europe, for example, women rode side saddle. Yeah, how? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it was considered more decorous. So you know, both the legs were hanging on one side, so they didn't sit with a stride. They didn't sit with their legs apart because that was unbecoming yeah. of a woman. Yes. Whereas in India, women always rode a stride. Hmm. They always sat on a horse in the manner of a man. And they sat, they sat properly on a horse. Thank God we didn't adopt the side saddle business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe it's very difficult to um, master. It must be much more difficult than riding a stride, of course. You know, hundred percent. I can, I can't imagine. I've never ridden side saddle, but I would imagine it would be terribly difficult to do. And Fanny <laughs> Parks, when she ends up riding a stride with the Maratha mm-hmm. women. She hmm. feels that, oh, I felt like I could jump over the moon. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, the horsewomanship that I explored and I, that I discovered and explored in the book was personally very interesting to me. Hmm. These photographs are lovely. Yeah. I mean, you know, clearly you spent a lot of time even selecting because I can imagine there must have been a lot and then you had to pare it down. So, talk about that. Um, so the visual aspect, like art is one of the major sources in the book. Hmm. Right? The art historical side of it is very important. Yes. And um, and I am an art historian by training. Hmm. So there was no way on earth I wasn't going to look at the visual side of things. Yeah. And I, you know, and um, my editor and I were very clear that we would have we would try and include as many images as possible. We would have an extensive color section. Mm-hmm. There was, um, you know, there was proper research, research on images. Um, we sort of scarred collections and found all kinds of exciting images. And we were able to procure quite a few of them. And that is, I think, one of um, one of the plus points of the book. It's a good-looking book. Um, it's it's the images. I think a lot of thought went behind the images. Um, yeah. You know, and so and those images are very telling. They are not just okay. sort of. They are not ornamental. They are not mm. just just added to beautify the book. They're very much part of the narrative. They're used to make a number of points and to illustrate a number of arguments. Yeah, that's true. Like that, uh, uh, the Nawab Junagadh's uh, uh, stamp. You know, I didn't know that. You know, he he was the first guy to get animals on his stamps in India. 
so yeah yeah poor fellow he's he has rather a bad reputation he's, he has a very bad reputation <laughs> yeah but he was a great um, you know he was a great lover of animals and he was very much concerned with maintaining a certain ecological balance within his princely state and he preserved a lot of um he he saved the um ish uh, sort of the, the the asiatic lion the indian lion from mm. extinction he was devoted he was a devoted horse breeder of kathiawadi horses mm. he also was devoted to you know the the, the indigenous cows of kathiawad so mm. I, he hasn't received i think yeah i think he was an interesting character and um this was a side to him that i also discovered in the course of researching this book and uh, it was very interesting to me also your colonel todd <laughs> let's talk about him and you've like dealt with his uh, uh, his input into the whole you know prithviraj chauhan story i never thought of it like that you know i one you know one just takes these uh, myths i mean these stories that you get from history as given you know and you just made me think about it from a different perspective so talk about that i never thought that you know um the whole perspective on prithviraj chauhan was created perhaps con- the uh, contribution to the the whole ideal as a law came came through a colonial gentleman you know what i mean so so i mean this is in relation to one of the chapters on the rajputs yes um, and i talk about the romanticization of the rajputs and how um the horse was um always quite integral to mm-hmm. rajput identity and their emergence yes uh, but i also talk about the romanticization of rajputs as horse warriors that took place during the colonial period mm-hmm. and how um colonel todd yes uh, you know who emerged who was the political agent of the western rajput states and who wrote this rather comprehensive history of rajasthan hmm. how a lot of it is mediated through his lens yes his his view of the place and the rajputs hmm. um so yeah that is one aspect that is another aspect to the story and uh, so it's not just about you know actual dealings with horses it's mm-hmm. also about how associations were formed how a certain you know how horses became symbolic yes right yes yeah yeah but you know you were talking about paintings mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. um we i was we were talking about paintings of uh, equestrian sports and we were talking about equestrian portraits but there are also paintings there are actually portraits of horses hmm they loved and admired to the extent individual horses were loved and admired to the extent that paintings of those horses were um commissioned by yeah. owners right hmm. yeah and, and before you book sorry but before your book i only you know i never thought that the i never thought that in i mean you see them but maybe one doesn't focus like george stubbs you know you go to the tate you see the, those wonderful paintings of horses and i and actually you brought out that you know the indian masters also did yes painted horses right yes yes yeah. yes, yes so whenever um, wonderful <laughs> yes yes so yeah you that 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 oeuvre of an indian master is not necessarily highlighted or looked at 
ियंटिंग्स um okay. you know the great uh, you know the, the 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 romantic tryst between um, maharaja savant singh and bunny thanni they are sort mm. of iconic those paintings okay. but there was a corpus of paintings of horses that emerged mm. from kishangarh this artist okay. bhavani das excelled in them mm. Right? Mm. so yeah exactly so like george stubbs became famous for his paintings of horses there were mm. indian masters who were specializing in paintings of horses and there some of them are quite weird and wonderful <laughs> yeah you <laughs> they you all have a distinctive style. style so they all painted horses in a very particular style right mm. so mm. they obviously thought about the subject they studied <laughs> the subject um <laughs> Yeah, so they talk about the Bhagta one. You, I, I remember you mentioned that the the rider, like he, he has a ca- caricaturish style when he when it comes to the riders and stuff like that, right? So, yeah, I mean they're not necessarily like yeah, Bhagtas is not they they're not necessarily it's almost slightly cartoonish. <laughs> Bhagta was known for pr- producing very distinctive, very individualized portraits of human beings, and that mm. sort of extends to horses. Okay. yeah um and so the horses and the, the the bodies are too big the legs are too small um mm. you know uh, but but they are beautiful okay you know and they are reflective of his distinctive style hmm paintings also cast light on certain other groups there are paintings of these horses with their grooms you know they haven't um, attracted a lot of interest and attention but these are fantastic paintings and they give mm. us insights into the association of the groom with the horse hmm you know okay. into the processes by which a horse was not just ridden into hmm. war or on the polo ground but also hmm. the, that the uh, horse was looked after yeah huh. there are people who whose association with horses you know that there are all these other associations surrounding of yes. Yes, yes. Which you know, uh, I mean, the the chapter I found most appalling was that uh, sea trade in horses, where all these horses, like they must have lost so many horses. You know, well, there are hundreds of references. There, there are so many references to like these this ruler buying horses based on you know, um, you know, if their tails or their ears were displayed as proof. you know because oh. so many horses did in fact die it was quite a it, it would have been quite a you know hideous ordeal for these horses being packed into ships um you know and sort of um you know packed into ships and coming all the way across the arabian sea and it's mm. a pretty sensitive they need a lot of looking after and you people don't really think about that they don't think about the experience of the horse what it could mean for the horse they'll be like oh like so many number of horses were like transported annually uh imported annually so yeah i mean obviously i can't speak for a horse but yeah. i can try and imagine i can try and present them as sentient yes i can try and present them as living beings who are not just to be viewed purely along utilitarian lines 
Hmm, that comes across in that chapter. I mean, I was really quite appalled. And you know, one didn't think that the Portuguese and the uh, uh, the 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 kingdoms, the big kingdoms like Krishna Devaraya and all these people were involved in in this trade as well, and that it was so important. You know, these things are kind of lost. So yeah, with the rise of cavalry fair, there was a, a, a cavalry warfare. There was a tremendous demand for horses, right? Mm-hmm. And a certain mm-hmm. prestige, a certain status was attached to imported horses. Okay. Uh, moreover, India does not seem to have produced horses of its own to the extent that was required. Hmm. So, um, a large, vast numbers of horses were imported from the Middle East and Central Asia. Hmm. And rulers tried to in- incentivize these trades. They, they, they tried to ensure that they had access to the best of horses. Um, hmm. They all had a stake in um, this trade in horses, right? Hmm. Vast numbers of horses were available. They permeated almost every aspect of life in India. Hmm. I mean, like for example, the horses in the Mughal studs lived up to thirty years. That that I think thirty. I think thirty. I yeah, remember. that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No. So the average lifespan was quite long. So they were obviously hmm. very well looked after. Yeah. Yeah. When by the fifteenth century or so, uh, during the uh, during the uh, under the Vijayanagar Empire. Enough horses were being produced, even in the mm. south, for okay. the rank and file. You know, the soldiers of um, mm. the, the 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 ordinary soldiers of the Vijayanagar Empire being mounted predominantly on what they call country nags. So you oh. know, local yeah. horses, homegrown horses. Yeah. Okay, so there were local horses being produced. Yeah, so. but the elite there was an elitist preference for sure. For the mm. imported horses, it's like even today, you know, even today, I mean, even if, even today, there's a preference for you know horses imported from Europe, mm. um, and within the elitist horsey culture, or mm. like there's a certain prestige to having an imported foreign foreign imported car, right? Yeah, even dogs. I mean, like yeah, people yeah. Want- then they would take a desi, you know, or even a... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Fantastic parallel. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there are these desi street dogs and, you know, but this is my St. Bernard from such and such place. Yeah, and, and there are Indian breeds, right? Like proper, like the chippy parai and all. But nobody wants to buy those. Yeah. Basically, in a nutshell, and a lot of it also, yeah, it's basically that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, last question. What was the most difficult thing about doing this book? I think the range, because mm. there are so many different regions, periods, um, traditions that I had to deal with. Yes. Right? So wrapping yeah. my head around all of that, um, you know, you're, my, I mean, with, with if you've had academic training, you t- tend to be very specific about your area of research. Yeah. Mm? And surveys are much harder to that extent to pull off. Yes. You know, like an all India survey is much harder to pull off. Yeah. Uh, So I think that just sort of stepping out of my comfort zone and being able to look at a number of different regions across different traditions, I think that was quite challenging for me. And it took me a while to feel comfortable with all of it. Okay. Okay. 
So I, you know, I found the book really very readable, and I found that you know you've like kind of marshaled a lot of facts, and uh, but you haven't made it, you know, you haven't made it a dry academic tome. You know, somebody who loves horses, or even somebody who just looks at them and thinks, "Wow, they look beautiful." Like I am. I mean, I'm not a horsey person, but I can appreciate horses because they they're beautiful. You know, anybody can read this book and and be kind of. Um, and go through it i mean i i didn't find uh, uh, i didn't find it difficult reading though i i admire the amount of you know work you've put into it one can see that you know yeah, so it's a great so read thank you so much it was the history of india on horseback the horse yes, it was the thread that runs through the history of india and so i think that i think that the book i hope has a wider appeal Yes, I'm sure it will because you know. It also the great thing about it is it made me think also of us as people and how we are mixed. Like you've mentioned in the book, we are as mixed as the horses. So you know, yes, yes. that is a parallel yeah. that occurred to me in the course of writing the book. Okay, so everybody go out and get the tale of the horse by Yashaswini Chandra. It's a history of India on horseback. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Manjula. It was lovely chatting with you. Okay bye. Okay bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series Raising April. It's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear. Each week we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.